the Psalms. Great. Pray a lot. All right, we start, we're starting in the Psalms. Let, let's play a game, shall we? Can we play a game? You guys ready for a game? Okay. I'm going to ask you guys, because the sermon message in what Psalm 36 is all about is the world versus God. So I've got a game for you. I, I'm going to read a quote from somebody. I want you to shout out, if you know who this comes from, who said it, I want you to yell it out loud. Now, you might not know who it is, and that's okay, too, and if you don't, I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you who it is from, and then I'll try to tell you who the person is if you don't know who they are, okay? So, those who follow God versus the world, this is our mindset. This is our rose-colored glasses that we look through, or our worldview that we see the world as, and this is what people do. So here's the first one. Who said this? You ready? Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, just that it is the spirit of the spirit of the situation. It's the opium of the people. Karl Marx said it. Lenin lived it, but Karl Marx said it. He tried to make socialism scientific rather than utopian. That's what Karl Marx did. In fact, he tried to do this like Charles Darwin did, naturalism with nature. So here's another one. Man is a rational animal, so at least I've been told. Throughout a long life, I've looked diligently for evidence in favor of this statement. But so far, I have not had the good fortune to come across it. Though I've searched in many countries, spread over three continents, on the contrary, I have seen the world plunging continually further into madness. I've seen great nations, formerly leaders of civilizations, led astray by preachers of bombastic nonsense. Folks, Aristotle, no, this quote, Bertrand Russell. Now, Bertrand Russell was the first person to notice the connection of modern totalitarianism in the countries that we have and people being led by religious leaders in their countries. So Bertrand Russell actually wrote a story about God. You should go read Bertrand Russell's stuff. Get interesting. Here's another one. I believe that there is no God. I'm beyond atheism. Atheism is not believing in God. Not believing in God is easy. You can't prove a negative, so there's no work to do. I'm not greedy. I have love, blue skies, rainbows, and Hallmark cards. That has to be enough. It has to be enough, but it's everything in the world, and everything in the world is plenty for me. It seems just rude to beg the invisible for more. Penn Gillette. You know Gillette, Penn and Gillette, or, or Penn and Teller, the magician? That's who that came from. The guy on TV said that. Here's my one last one that I'm going to read to you before I show you a clip from a news anchor. News anchor said this. I had a buddy of mine this week tell me about another one, and I really tried to find it and put it in the clip, and I couldn't, so I'm, I apologize. But I looked for it, just so you're aware. Um, this is the last one. I thought this was interesting to me. That gods watch over us and guide our destinies. Many human cultures teach other entities, more men, um, 
responses to the existence of evil. Both classes of beings, whether considered natural or supernatural, real or imaginary, serve human needs. Even if they're wholly fanciful, people feel better believing in them. So in an age when traditional religion has been under withering fire from science, it's not natural to wrap up all the gods and demons in the world and call them scientific. And they then call them aliens. You probably have no idea what they're saying. But it was a deep guess to both of them. Called the cosmos. Anybody remember who led the cosmos program? Carl Sagan. Nice job, Dave. Carl Sagan. All of these men and women and people have had influence over a generation. The cosmos on PBS was watched on PBS public broadcasting services was watched over a hundred million times. It's their largest, most successful program ever. Carl Sagan did not believe that there was a God. And I'm going to do something for you guys that's really, really shocking. And I hope you're shocked because this is a news anchor. And she is extremely angry about a subject. And I left her swear word in there. Now, I debated back and forth, should I do this, should I not do this, should I say it, we're in church, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to hear what our news anchor has to say. And I'll tell you all about their news anchors. Has anyone ever heard of the Young Turks? might be strong, but it's how I genuinely feel. Um, I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show, like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. I don't care what the Bible says. You have every right in the world. All those women who identify with your religion have every right in the world to not get an abortion, to not take birth control. But they do not have the right to dictate my life and what I decide to do with my body. I don't care about your goddamn religion. I'm so tired of having nonstop conversations about what the Bible says. You live your life in the way that you interpret the Bible. Again, I don't care. But you don't get to take the Bible and tell me, well, the Bible says this in this chapter and this verse. I don't care. I don't care. I don't believe in it. And I have the right, based on our Constitution, to not believe in it. That's the world. say, I don't care. But the reality is that's the world we're living in. They don't care what the Bible says. 
says. They don't care about your mythical little book and what it says. They don't care. In the world you're living in right now, you have friends, neighbors, co-workers who don't care what you think. This is the world you're living in. I posted something on Facebook a while back, and I actually made it a public post, and it was about atheism and how fast it's growing. And did you know that I just can, within Facebook, I can put a little circle around where I want it to reach, just those neighborhoods. And so I put it just around, it maybe hit 100th Street. It went all the way down to 135th Street. I think I went just a little bit past 18th Street, and I went a little bit past, I believe, 9th. And the responses I got on Facebook were amazing. The neighbors that we have in this little area, over 1,400 people responded to that one post about atheism. And you know what it was? Thank God that we aren't Christians. So when you're living in this area and everybody seems to know all the right answers of Christianity, understand that most of them do not know the Bible. They want nothing to do with the Bible. Does that make sense? Do you guys understand what I'm getting at? Your kids, your grandkids, all of those people, they want nothing to do with the Bible. This world you're living in tells the Christians to just shut up and be quiet. Stop telling others about Christianity. That's what Charleston is Christian all about. In fact, you're going to see the world mindset towards God, and then you're going to see what David says God is like for all of us who believe, who follow, who struggle, who sin. The evils of this world, which we should not be living in, and then there's the greatest gift ever given to us. The greatest gift ever given to the world is our salvation. So without further ado, Let's look at Psalm 36 together and see what the world thinks of God. The world versus God. First verse, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquities, his sins, cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. This is the world. This is the world that you and I are living in. Sin speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. None. There is no fear of God. They don't care. That's a newspaper. They don't care. And they flatter themselves with thinking it's fine to believe in a myth or a God. But don't push your views on me. Don't push your Bible on me. Don't tell me how I'm supposed to live my life. I don't tell you how to live. 
I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. I can tell you, though, that the standard that you want to try to achieve, that I'm trying to achieve, is this standard right here in the Bible. Not my standard. My standard's subjective. His standard's objective. It never changes. Never changes. People try to change it to make it say something it doesn't say. That's called, in theological terms, eisegesis. They read into the scriptures what they want it to say. And they justify their positions, health and wealth, social justice, prosperity gospels. All of those people, and I'm telling you now this year, I'm calling them out for what they are. They're liars from the pit of hell because they take scripture to say something God never meant it to say to fit a position that God never had us to have. And it's scary the world we're living in because these people sit back in their beds and they think of ways of doing harm to all people. They think of it. They don't do anything good. They just love evil. In fact, they embrace evil. They call it good. That's what the world does. I want to read some scripture to you now, and I just want you to listen. Truly listen to the words of our Lord, because He's going to be just in the end. He is going to judge every one of us. And I'm here to scare you. He is going to judge you. Every word and every deed. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what does. Because it keeps me up at night for myself. I worry a lot. Am I doing enough for the church? Am I showing myself enough to the community? Am I doing enough to show the love of God to others? Am I bringing anyone to the Lord? God, please use me. These are the prayers that I have on my bed at night. Because I'm so fearful I'm not doing it rightly. And then I realize, oh wow, I pray for this church and I pray that it grows. I pray that we have large, large kids ministries. I pray that God would reach the kids through my kids and the other kids who are part of this church. And that we would reach people in our school systems. I mean, I'm becoming a substitute teacher so that I can show these kids that I love them. Not just by saying I love them, but by doing it too. And so I'm asking God for this church that we would not be fooled in the world that we live in. Because I'm telling you now, kids don't care. They don't care. They're like, ah, I just want to do what I want to do. I want to have fun. I want to do my things. Don't bother me with all that church garbage. I've actually heard that at school. Listen to this scripture, and I want you to heed the warning that is truly causing many to walk away from the faith. The only way you can bring them back is through prayer and supplication. Here it is. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard, a very fertile building. He dug it, cleared it of its stones. built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out all the wine for it in a vat. He looked for it in the yield to its grapes, but he yielded 
Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedges and it shall be shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars or thorns shall grow up in it. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful homes without inhabitants. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp and tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or seek the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men will go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. These are the woes to the nation from the Lord, the nation of Israel, and it still rings true today. There are whole swaths of land in China of empty buildings. No inhabitants. Nothing to do. There's whole cities. there. Yikes. 
scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These ought, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean out the outside of the cup and the plate, but on the inside you're full of greed and self-indulgences. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. These are the real woes. These are the things that keep me up at night. These are the things that I'm telling you now scare me. They kind of scare me straight. I make mistakes, I doubt, just like everybody else. But I'm telling you now, church, we need to realize that we can't be just outwardly appearing good. We need to clean the inside first. And we need to take care of loved ones. We need to take care of God. We need to take care of each other. We can't just make excuses. If we make excuses in every situation possible, and I'm telling you now, stop making excuses. Now, do you have to come to church in order to be saved? No. But I'm telling you, I need you here because I can't do this life without you. And I'm telling you right now, I have met enough people in this area who do life without God, and then when something tragic happens, they come to me and they're like, why did God do that to me? Why did bad things happen to good people, Pastor Chris? Your God is horrible. And I'll ask them the question, what do you define as good? What's a good person in your mind? They've never murdered somebody? Is that what a good person is? Because Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. What, they never actually committed the physical act of adultery? I'm telling you right now, guys, if you look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart with her. What's a good person? tell you right now, whether there's 5,000 balloons or one balloon of perfection, our sin pops with just one. That's all it takes. Every single one of us has sin. So outwardly we look righteous, but inwardly we're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I pray that you would see through the house that's left not desolate. Jesus said this, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the world we live in, church. And there's something you and I can do about it. We can turn to the Lord. We can see that the goodness that he provides before us is faith, like I said last week, is trustworthy, is steadfast. Verse 5 of today's psalm, Psalm 36, listen to these people and see what he has to say about us. Listen to what he says to those who follow him. This is who God is. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your 
is like the mighty mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. Delight in the secret judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. Altogether, Psalm 19.9 He is mercy, church. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Psalm 103.8 He's holy. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among other gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? Exodus 15.11 He is perfection. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hot and shined, and he came to eight ears. Psalm 50, verse 20 is where that comes from. He's never changing, church. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. James 1.17, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8. Our God is in control. That's the message I want us to have. How great are the size, how mighty is His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to His will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Daniel. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a fancy word to say substitute. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We need to love each other, church. I get it. Things happen. Things are tough sometimes. You just don't want to get up. You don't want to do things, but I'm telling you right now, I love you and I want to be with you all. I want to care for you in your time of need. I tried, we, we went to a, a funeral this weekend for Jody Kiner, a, a teacher at the middle school. He was a wrestling coach and a football coach, and we were there, and it was just, it was amazing to see how many people showed up for this man's funeral. So many people. He cared for so many people. He did so many things. 
church, honestly, I sat there and I went, if we didn't know who Jesus is, it was all for nothing. Now, I don't know. I don't know. He could. He might have. I didn't have that conversation with the man. But I regret not having that conversation, not having that talk. Because we've had chances. I sat in this room, and we talked about things that we were really interested in. And I loved history, and he was a history teacher. And we got into really great conversations about the Civil War. He was like, wait, your church started when? I said, 1857. 1857. I said, yeah, four years before the Civil War. He's like, yeah, that's cool. And I said, you know what was really interesting? I was looking at our book, in our history book, and we actually have on April 15th, 1865, we had a meeting. I said, April 15th? You know what happened five days earlier? I said, yeah, April 10th. President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And he's like, wow, that's so cool. And we were just chit-chatting and talking. But I regret that I didn't do enough. That I didn't reach out more. Beloved, if we love one another, if we love God, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And when we have seen and testified that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He is God. So we have to come to know and to believe the love that God had for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. As Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. 1 John 7 through 19. Little little church, little people, don't be fearful for what your friends or your co-workers or your family members. And I say that to you as I'm saying it to myself. Don't be fearful of offending people for sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. so bold that it gets me in trouble. But I'm telling you now, this world means nothing without Christ. Our lives mean nothing without Christ. Here's the end of the psalm that David said. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. This is my prayer for all of us. Church, this is my prayer. Is that we would turn to Jesus. That we would see and believe. That we would share. That we would know that we are healed. None of us are perfect. But He abides in us. He cares for us. He allows us to show the world the Savior, changes lives, makes things whole, puts back new life into us. 
relationship forever with God. So even now, church, we live forever. And if you continue to keep rejecting God and rejecting God and rejecting God, He's so loving, He's not going to force you into His presence. Being in His presence is what Christians call heaven. Being outside of His presence for eternity is hell. It's the very definition. And there will be wrath, there will be judgment, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't want that for anybody. I don't want that for anybody. So I pray that your friends, your family, your co-workers, would know that you are a follower of Jesus because you share Christ in everything that you're doing. It's not always just in word. It's in deed as well. Jesus and find truth about him.